Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. All right, I want to thank everybody for joining us today on the Confident Retirement Podcast. I am your host, Chris Flaming, as always, and today I have the pleasure of having Donna Rice on the show. She is part of Rice and Rice Estate Attorneys. They specialize in elder law, probate avoidance, avoiding nursing homes, and spend down protections, to just name a few things. They help clients create trust-centered estate plans through thoughtful and intentional actions to convey the monetary family wisdom and love to future generations. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. So uh, you have a pretty interesting history, personally, and how you got to be where you are. So just uh, run us through that briefly, if you would. Yeah, I am an estate planning attorney by profession, and my husband is also. We enjoy working together. So we've been married for 25 years and still like each other, even though we're in business together, too. Yeah, that takes some, that <laughs> takes some work. It does. Sometimes people are totally amazed that we enjoy working and living together, but we do. Beautiful design there. And we have a very large blended family. We've both been married before. We've um, been through kind of all the modern issues in life and chose to, both of us at different times, chose to center on estate planning, um, really because of the values that we hold, family values, um, a desire to use our professional knowledge to help other families. Um, Planning ahead, of course, makes a huge difference in how things go at the end of life. A lot of times people wait too long and there are limits then to what you can do as far as preserving a state and um, maybe even having the right people making decisions for you. You know, it's very, if you wait too long and you're not competent, you can't choose who will be making those really critical decisions at the end of life. So we, we came into this practice with a desire to really work with families, help them, and be a compassionate professional, you know, dealing with those very touchy issues. Yeah, and they are touchy. And they there's, are. there isn't enough compassion in the world right now, that's for sure. No, there is not. Right. My goodness, what a day we live in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, if, so you guys have been in practice for a long time. If we you have. could go back in time and give your younger self some advice, what do you think you would tell that person? You know, I think I would (laughs) tell myself to relax a little bit, first of all. Um, We put ourselves through so much agony sometimes when we're young, you know, trying to make sure everything's just right. And sometimes we really miss the priorities in life. You know, I think the older I get, the more I understand really how 
the true priorities of family and love and keeping those relationships healthy, how just how important that is. And, you know, I've experienced divorce and whatnot. So I've been through that relationship breakup part. And I've seen many, many clients go through relationship issues. I just, I would say, be kind to yourself and to the others around you and do everything you can to maintain Mm -hmm. those relationships in their most healthy format. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not easy work, but it's definitely worth it. It is. You know, one of the things in the profession we're in, when you're working with people who are facing end of life and preparing to die, you encounter the fears that we all have to some extent of that unknown. But you also begin to realize people stop thinking about their jobs and their toys. And and they really do start thinking a lot about the people that they've interacted with in their life, whether it's family or friends, you know, those are the people that they start, their life kind of starts restricting down to a small Mm -hmm. group of folks. And it's usually not the people from the office. Right. Well, what's that, what's that quote? You no one on their deathbed ever said that they wish they had gone to work more. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And it is so true. So if we could live a little bit more with that in mind, I think we'd make some different choices along the way. And I heard a great quote recently, there isn't enough guilt to change the past, right? nor is there enough anxiety to change the future. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I'm not taking credit for that, but I read it somewhere. I don't remember who said it. Okay, so that... That's a good lead in. Let's let's kind of jump in on a high level to some of the things that you guys specialize and focus on. So uh, in real simple terms, um, define this term elder law, right? Because that kind of covers a, a big area. So how do you how do you guys define that? We really focus on, like I said, the end of life planning, mm-hmm. preparation for disability. You know, statistically, more of us are going to be disabled in the time that we're living in because we live longer. We have better health care, and so it's not quite such a quick transition from illness to death for most of us. There's a period of time of varying degrees of disability, so we focus a lot on how to plan for that, how to choose people that are going to make good decisions for you, how to prepare those people to make good decisions for you. Not all of our children want to talk about those things, but the more we can encourage them to engage with us, um, the better our care will be Mm. as we become ill. And then, of course, preserving the estate, the wealth for the family and for those maybe perhaps charities, whoever you want to be the beneficiary of your physical material wealth, you know, preserving that as much as possible and avoiding, you know, spending down on nursing home care if possible. Mm. How do you plan for either long-term care insurance, or if the estate is smaller, how do you prepare for Medicaid eligibility, things like that. That's all the elder law, Okay. Um, big okay. world, I guess. So does, so spend down protection would be a part of elder law? Mm-hmm. It right? would be, yeah, okay. we do Medicaid. And how do you define that? What is, what's, what's kind of a uh, simple definition of spend down protection? The term itself is, you know, as you spend your wealth to care for yourself during a 
catastrophic illness. And so spend down protection is putting in place either the right plans like long-term care insurance or healthcare powers of attorney, other general powers of attorney that have specific language in them, depending on the state that we live in, that will allow you to take advantage of rules that, you know, you may gift certain amounts of your wealth to family members, or you may be able to um, do some repairs on the house, you know, things like that, that will help you become eligible for assistance earlier, Mm -hmm. but do it legitimately within the bounds of the rules. Okay. And those are the things that most people, you know, they don't spend their time reading Medicaid guidelines. Right. (laughs) Who wants to do that unless they, (laughs) they don't, unless they hate themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes or they can't sleep. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I was just gonna say that. Sometimes we tell our clients, you know, if you're having sleeping problems, just read your trust notebook. Right. That's <laughs> what I say about prospectuses. Yes. Right. Yeah. Put your write down. <laughs> yeah. So your firm, you and your husband, you have some history with revocable trust and language that mm-hmm. went into revocable trust. So to just briefly take me through that and why you think it's such a powerful tool. Yeah, we like the trust-based planning because of mainly control. You, during your lifetime, are able to set the terms of your trust all within the the legal realm of the state and the feds, but you can choose the people who are going to step in and assist. You can determine ahead of time who you want to be your beneficiaries and how you want them to receive it. Um, You know, more and more we're dealing with families that have some level of dysfunction. They have addiction issues with children or grandchildren, sometimes criminal issues. Mm -hmm. How do you take all of those family and life issues and boil it down to a plan that goes into effect immediately And that's another reason we like the trust. They're effective now. It's not waiting for a probate court to determine, you know, what's going to happen. It takes effect as soon as you sign it and fund it and begin living within the the terms that you've put in place. Mm -hmm. So I think it gives clients a lot of peace. You know, they know they've got a plan ahead of time and a lot of control. It's, It's changeable during their lifetime. And they do. We have many clients who change trustees over the course of the life of their planning documents, or they um, change the distribution based on based on changing circumstances with children or um, the death of a child. You know, there's another issue that you can plan ahead for. It's something we all hope doesn't ha- ever happen. We don't want to precede our children in death. But if it does happen, what happens with the grandchildren or the surviving spouse of your child, you know, all those relationship dynamics begin to play into that type of planning. And if if you can sit down with somebody who will talk you through those issues, raise some issues that perhaps, you know, as a layman, you haven't thought about, Mm -hmm. and then say, what would you want to happen? Here's a great example. Personally, I can use this because it's us. (laughs) We absolutely adore our daughters-in-law, you know, they our children married young and we have been with those girls for so long that we chose to write into our trust documents that if something happened to one of our sons, you know, a share of 
if they were still married to our son at the time that our son passed away, a share of that estate would go to the Mm daughter-in-law and then the rest would go on down to the grandkids. Mm -hmm. And you can make choices like that out of love and planning ahead if you know there are options to be had. So that's a very long-winded story of why we like trust-based estate planning. Lots of control, lots of options. Yeah. Well, and you, you mentioned dysfunction and there's plenty of that to go around too. So if you're not in a family that doesn't have some level of dysfunction, you're probably not looking closely enough. That is exactly right. We have, you know, when we were first practicing, we were dealing with the World War II generation Mm -hmm. and we've just seen a progressive breakdown of families. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to the point even sometimes where we've had clients who were, in fear for their lives when one spouse or the other died because of the wealth, you know, mm-hmm. that they had people who were um, far enough gone that they were afraid they'd kill the spouse to get to the estate earlier. Yeah. That's sad. You yeah. know, that's a breakdown culturally and societally that we need to address. Right. That's a tough solution though. It is. Yeah, it is not an easy fix. Can't just throw money at no. it. No, you can't. (laughs) So do you have some favorite areas of your practice that you most enjoy right now? Um, You know, I think always it's dealing with the people. Hmm. You know, probably one of the biggest problems I have if I sit down with a a set of clients that, especially if we get along, is I talk too much. You know, I enjoy talking to them. I I enjoy family life. I enjoy finding out what people have done right and what they've done wrong and then trying to glean the wisdom from that. Mm -hmm. So that is really the biggest thing I enjoy about the practice. I chose to practice in estate planning because of family and I enjoy working with clients for the exact same reason. Yeah. Well, isn't that so true that the internet does not know what questions to ask or whether Mm -hmm. they're asking the right questions or not. Right. to learn those things about the person. Yeah. Um, that's probably the, the biggest benefit of a trusted professional is they're going to use their wisdom in order to help you based on the answers and life experiences that you have. So true. You just hit on it. You know, part of that conversation is getting to the root of what's going on with a particular family. And you don't know that if you're really quickly trying to turn around, you know, we've got half an hour, fill out your documents, and then we'll create a plan for you. Most of our meetings are a minimum of two hours, you know, to just kind of spend time getting to know them, getting to know their children. And sometimes people are suspicious, you know, why are you asking me so many questions? Why do you need all this information? But it really does help you create a dynamic plan You know, when you look at the people picture and the resources picture together, and then you can talk a little bit about what their goals are, Mm -hmm. you know, know, do they want to help grandchildren go to college? Here's another example. We had an elderly couple we worked with years ago. They were, they didn't have children of their own, but they were, they really loved nieces and nephews and they set up a college fund. And it's ongoing. They've both passed away at this point. That college fund is ongoing. And so annually, there's children getting a a nice reminder that somebody loved them and cared about them and is helping make sure 
they have a good start in life. Mm. Those are the things that if you spend time and talk with the clients, you can get to something that they feel like they've blessed somebody. And then long-term, there's a legacy being created. Yeah. I like that. So it's the blessing and then there's the legacy. Yeah. Nice. So what do you think is the biggest misconception about what you do? (laughs) Oh, Biggest Pick one. There's so many. <laughs> yeah. The first thing that came to mind was that lawyers are all mean um, and greedy and nasty. Um, I've had clients sit down with me and, and spend half the, you know, the first half hour of the meeting angry and then kind of address that issue and go on and be totally fine. Um, the other misconception I think about what we do is that it is all money based. The, you know, we get a lot of resistance sometimes to talk about assets and and we've had a lot of clients try and avoid telling us about assets because they're worried that, well, that's all you determine the cost of the plan on. And that's pertinent. You know, the larger the estate is, the more tools you need to use to make sure it accomplishes the purposes, you know, that the family has in mind. But it isn't just about getting into the pocket of the client. It's about figuring out how to use those assets for the benefit of the family. You know, do farming families, huge issue there. Lots of value tied up in land usually, but not lots of cash. And so how do you plan for those things? You know, we need the information to create the proper plan and give the best advice. And so that misconception of, all you want to know about is my money. <laughs> That's not just it. Yeah. Well, I, I often think about if you want a really good diagnosis from your doctor, then mm-hmm. you have to be completely upfront and honest with them about what your symptoms you are or your medical conditions or exactly. your family history or the way that you're living currently, because then the result would be incomplete if the, exactly. you know, if the, what you were telling them was also incomplete or you were hiding things. Yeah. And then people wonder why they don't have an optimal outcome. Yes, that is exactly right. We have sat down with clients who weren't completely honest with us about the number of their assets. And then when somebody passes away, the results aren't optimal. (laughs) You end up with, okay, this asset now, because it wasn't in the trust, has to go through the probate process. Mm -hmm. And we could have easily avoided it. So, yeah. But we didn't know. Okay. No. So I'm curious, you know, you have a lot of life experience. What's your first memory with money? Oh, interesting. Um, My first memory with money. Well, oh, I've got two things I can tell you there. First of all, my family was adamant about teaching us how to work. So when we were in grade school, my father owned apartment buildings. Well, my mother and father in town owned apartment buildings and he had us do work. And so we started keeping timesheets in grade school and for a dollar an hour, you know, he'd pick us up after school and we'd do two or three hours of work and we'd keep our timesheet and get our paycheck at the end of the week or our pay cash. So we learned very quickly that, Money is a cause and effect. You know, you work and you, you get a, a result. You get payment. And then he began, they began early on to teach us, you know, how to 
create a credit score. You know, I borrowed money to buy a bike when I was really young, you know, mm. and it was, this was at the little local bank, you know, and I made my $10 a month payment or whatever it was. And, you know, that was my first experience kind of working with a bank and being, being a big girl. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, over time, then you buy cars and homes and etc. Right. So yeah, it's just bigger numbers, but same yeah, concepts. Bigger numbers, you earn more, you spend more, you, you yeah. know. That probably it's, it's, helped with math though, when you guys had to do yeah. those timesheets, you were right, you were, you were very much on whether that was correct or not, because that yeah. had to do with how much you were getting paid. Yeah, it did. And then uh, funny, the next generation, you know, we did the same with our kids. And at the office one time, my youngest, I came by a desk and he was supposed to be working on something, you know, at the office cleaning up or whatever they were there to do that day. And he was calculating on a piece of paper. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm calculating how much I'm making per minute. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, he was really tuning in on what yeah. that dollar was going to do. <laughs> and what, what does he do today? You know, he is a diesel mechanic. Okay. He absolutely loves yeah. engines and, and he's got a great job and great benefits. Um, There's high demand for that stuff. There is. And yeah. we have tried and tried to get him to come into the law practice and not interested. He does not yeah. want to work in an office. <laughs> that might be a, that might be a tough transition if he's yeah. out, if enjoy working out there in a, in a garage on engines. Yeah. All right. So I, th I think I might know the answer to this, but um, mm -hmm. I'll still let you, I'll still let you address it. What do you think your biggest life accomplishment is? Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Family. The, and that comes, that flows from the personal and the professional experience. Mm. You know, the people that I've seen that have the most joy as they are facing the end of their life have done well with their families. The people that are, whether even if they're not facing the end of the life, the people that have the most joy living their life have done well with their families. Mm. And so we have very consciously, I think especially because of, divorce history and whatnot, we've just worked really hard to make our adult children and now our grandchildren, you know, interactive in all parts of our lives. We work together with some of our children. And if we don't work together, we have close interactive relationships, even if it's long distance. Mm -hmm. And you can still do that today with uh, oh, yeah. FaceTime with and Zoom. and Yeah, look at what we're doing. You know, shortly before I called you, I was on a FaceTime with one grandson and son that he's got some medical treatment coming up, the little grandson. And so we're doing some FaceTime and just enjoying him that way. We can't yeah. be with him because he lives in Louisiana, but it's amazing. Technology has really allowed us to keep those relationships a lot closer. Yeah. I mean, there's, you can never replace the, you know, being in person with someone, right. especially when it comes to family, but this is right. probably the closest thing we can get to it. Yeah. So is there something that you personally are really passionate about? Mm -hmm. um, I'd love you to elaborate on that. Yeah, absolutely. And this has come about as a result of both profession and family too, is grandparenting. I absolutely love being a grandparent. You know, I used to laugh at when people would get so excited about talking about their grandkids and think, oh, those crazy old ladies, you know. And now I'm right in there in the midst of them. I'm mm -hmm. one of those crazy old ladies and 
I don't have the fold out accordion picture file like they used to, but right. I have an iPhone loaded, <laughs> you know, and I'm happy to share. But what's come out of that is really we've started a, a new business and it's grandparenting A to Z. And we really are digging into and reaching out to grandparents. You know, mm. the grandparents are struggling with different issues now because of changes in our culture and our society. And the distance factor is one issue. The dysfunction is another. And so how can we be the best grandparents possible? How can we create that legacy, um, be very intentional about what we're passing down as far as family values and family priorities? How do we build family in the 21st century? when it does look so different than it used to because of distance and technology. You know, how do you get your grandkids out of their tablets long enough to have a conversation with them and find out who they are and then teach them some things? So grandparenting has definitely become my passion and is turning into a new business too. So what, what are the plans for that? Is, it, are you, is there a book? Is there a website? What are the plans for that? Yeah, we are, we have a website and social media, lots of social media going right now. The name is Grandparenting A to Z. So it's grandparentingatoz.com. And then same thing on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest. And we're just having a lot of fun. We're creating content. We're talking about issues. There's a book in the works. I'll be, I actually have several ideas for books. And the first one that I'll be working on is a devotional for Mm. grandparents to really, you know, kind of how do they pray for their grandchildren and, and change if they're not happy with how they're grandparenting, how do they change that? Mm. How do you begin to pray through fixing family issues? I'm a great believer that it's never too late to start. You know, I've seen a lot of families with dysfunction. Um, I've seen people hold grudges for 20 years over a pocket watch And my adamant advice has always been to clients and will always be make those things right before you die. You know, there comes a moment when we'll all be gone and those things won't be fixed on this side of death. (laughs) And so why not make that first step and do the best you can? The other person, of course, has to respond, but you'll never regret trying. You'll regret if you don't. Right. And I have seen that. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's one of the hardest things about the type of law we practice is seeing families who who don't change and don't try to reconcile with one another. And somebody ends up dying bitter and angry. The family's bitter and angry. That's painful to watch. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, it's not a good legacy. Not at all. And I've heard it said that bitterness is basically the equivalent of drinking poison, hoping mm. that the other person will die. Yeah. And even that's though, exactly right. Even though you drank it yourself. Yeah. They may never know that you've got an upset and here you are just stewing and festering for years. It's an ugly thing. And mm-hmm. I would always recommend fixing that if possible. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's shift gears back to the business a little bit. So what do, what do you see as kind of the biggest business opportunity for y'all right now? Hmm. We have shifted gears a little bit into some of the financial planning. So some 
what you're doing. We actually are training one of our staff and he'll be testing and going into some of that in, in Indiana. There's a symbiotic relationship between professions mm-hmm. and I'm sure you're aware of that. It can work extremely well or it can go extremely poorly. Yeah. Um, you know, the more trust and um, confidence you can build between financial planners, attorneys, insurance agents, the better. You can help your clients in a much more well-rounded way. They tend to trust you once you've talked to them, especially from, from the perspective that we're seeing where you're talking about, you know, that death planning and mm-hmm. all those people who matter the most to them and then all their material possessions, what happens to them when they die. There is a trust that's developed and they want to be able to ask you, you know, who do I go to for this part or that part? And so we've worked really hard over the years to find people. Um, We've had some great ones. We've had some bad experiences. So we're kind of broadening into that a little bit Mm -hmm. with a financial planning firm that we've worked with in Indiana for quite some time. And we're just taking it to the next level. Mm -hmm. So, and really still trying to get some of our own kids into some of this. (laughs) it's funny how they just don't want to be lawyers. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I heard uh, in church the other day that the person that was speaking said they had wished that you could have your grandparent, your grandkids first and then your kids Um, later. (laughs) You know, it's amazing. And you said you had young kids. Just wait. It is so wonderful. Oh, Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) We are just gaga. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You really do get a little crazy. <laughs> On the flip side of that, then, what, what do you see as being the largest obstacle in the way of your business? This something tough you're dealing with or, or having difficulty yeah. with? I think the internet has created an interesting diagnose yourself, do mm-hmm. all your own planning, and access to knowledge without always complete understanding. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm, I'm guessing you probably run into some of this too. You get second guessed a lot because people are Googling everything and looking for answers. And I do the same to some extent myself. It is, there is an abundance of information out there, but understanding how the parts actually work and what will really happen based on, you know, the legal climate or the financial climate um, that's where, you know, a professional can bring something to the table that somebody without experience doesn't have. You know, we've, one of the conversations I've had years ago was with a set of clients who was really upset about the probate process. And, you know, we had advised trust-based planning for some of the reasons we discussed earlier. And when they came in to sign their documents, they were just really upset that why do I have to do this if I want to avoid probate? Why can't, you know, my kids just sell the house after I die? Why can't they just do this after I die? And it's, you know, we literally spent the first half hour of the meeting with me saying, because there are laws, you have to jump through the hoops. And so sometimes I think, the access to information has done a disservice to people getting the correct advice Mm -hmm. because they just don't know if they haven't spent their career focusing in an area, they don't know the ins and outs of how it actually works. Yeah. 
Well, I've, I've often said on this program that the internet is full of abundance of information. Mm-hmm. There's a true lack of wisdom there. Yes. And, and what advisors do when they're competent is, is it is more of an art form. Yeah. So it's taking that collage of information, using their experience, creating something which is a customized plan for the family or the individual. That's the art yeah. part, which the internet has not conquered yet. It's not personal. Right. You know, yeah. It's just regurgitating papers or documents or statutes or whatever. It's showing it to us, but no, no understanding, no wisdom in how to apply yeah. the knowledge. Yeah. So is there something new that you're learning or working on right now? I know it's hard to keep up with all the changes that are taking place, but is there something right now that you're kind of focusing on getting up to speed on? You know, myself in particular, because I've shifted into so much of the grandparenting business technology, Mm. (laughs) you know, technology is interesting. It's a wonderful, horrible thing all at once. You enjoy it. You know, we can do something like this. A Zoom meeting and see each other and talk and have a great conversation, record it and edit it and do all of that. But then um, some of that background, you know, learning how to work with that in mm-hmm. in our modern business world and how to be a, adapt and, you know, be stay relevant and stay current. You know, that's always the fight, I think, in our technology-driven world. I'm coming to really appreciate you know, I have a young lady working with me, two of them working with me on the grandparenting business and so appreciate what they bring, you know, into the business as far as technology, new understanding of how to market mm-hmm. via the social media world, um, how to reach people and communicate with the messages that we have. So that's a challenge and it's new, but it's good. I keep stretching the gray matter as much as I can. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, do you think that's where the, your industry is heading? Yes and no. And Cliff and I have this conversation a lot, you know, we, and it kind of comes back to that question about, you know, people can do their own documents online. And I think, you know, we'll continue to see that, but I think we're almost seeing in some ways a gravitation back to the personal. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard somebody recently, I th- and I think it's this new marketing company we're kind of working with, direct mail is doing better than it's done hmm. in quite some time. Hmm. And I think, you know, things are always cyclical, but I think even as people use the information they have access to online and whatnot, we're still communal creatures. We still like to interact with one another. We still Mm -hmm. like that personal touch or being able to ask a question and get a human response. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it'll forever change things. You know, certainly statutes change over time and you have to adapt and marketing changes and you adapt. But I think if we can still build relationships, you know, there's still always room for success with that. Mm-hmm. In mind. Well, and they, they say that the uh, cycle of fashion, doesn't that repeat itself like every 20 or 30 years, Donna? Mm-hmm. I just hope that bell bottoms never come <laughs> back again. Oh, my goodness. I saw a picture on Facebook yesterday. Major bell bottoms. And really? Stripes. Oh, with oh. stripes. You know, no. um, vertical stripes, bold. It was 1970s all over again. <laughs> wow. 
I am. I'm no. not going to go there. All right. No, so <laughs> if, uh, if people want to contact you, they want to reach out, they want to get in touch. How do, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way to reach me right now is through Grand Kerning A to Z. Um, that's where I'm spending most of my time. And my email is Donna at GrandKerningAtoZ.com and that website. And then the law firm is Rice and Rice Attorneys. We're in Valparaiso, Indiana. We're also in Granger and Lafayette. And that website is RiceAndRice.com with and spelled out. Okay, fantastic. Listen, Donna, I want to thank you for being with me today. You've been a really good guest. Um, I had a lot of fun and uh, we learned a lot. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed being with you. It was a great conversation. Yeah, folks, we've been here with Donna Rice from Rice and Rice Estate Attorneys in Indiana. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this week's episode of the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors headquartered in Sarasota, Florida where we're taking the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one episode at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.